Happy offseason, everybody. Welcome to your first Painting Corners offseason preview episode of the 2019-2020 season. If you weren't with us last year and don't really know how these work, essentially what we do is we take a rider from each team and kind of go through the positions and find out what went well for a team this year, what could go better in the future, and kind of find out at each position where teams can add talent, where teams need talent, where teams already possibly have talent and prospects. Basically what it comes down to is we wanted to talk to a bunch of people, you know, one person from each team who knows these teams extremely well and talk to them about the future of these organizations. We're going to do one of these for every team. Uh, it just so happens today that we're starting north of the border with Ian Hunter of Daily Hive Toronto and Blue Jays Nation to talk Toronto Blue Jays. You know, we're going to talk everything from magnificent Beau Bichette, the debut of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Kevin Bizio to complete the Super Suns. And of course, the desperate need is starting pitcher. We did actually record this before the Brewers dealt Chase Anderson to the Jays, so kind of keep that in mind while we're talking about starting pitching. We also talk about the amazing Nate Pearson, who could possibly be the next big Blue Jays rookie to stand out in the next couple of years. But we kind of just take a deep dive in this organization and take a look at each position, and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Painting Corners. Your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. When we made these offseason previews last year, we had a vision in mind, you know, what we wanted to. We want to give the fans of those prospective teams and maybe even those outside. Like, I know one of our biggest you know, supporters is Matt Roberts, who's a Blue Jay fan. So I thought it'd be pretty fitting, actually, to do the best one, in our opinion, last year, first this year. And whenever we set out this vision, you know, wanted to put these together, going back and listening to this episode, this Blue Jays episode last year, it was the best one possible. And Ian Hunter is back with us this year. Ian, you know, thank you so much for last year. And, I mean, it's got to be exciting this year, seeing all those young guys that we talked about last year come up. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it, it was a really exciting year in terms of development for the Blue Jays. Um, last year when we talked about these guys, I didn't know if they were all going to come at once. But, yeah, they have basically take all those guys that were in AAA um, in 2018 and fast forward to 2019, and they're basically all at the big league level. You know, Vladdy, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., even somebody like Trent Thornton. I mean, it's basically, you know, there's not too much. There are prospects in their, in their system, but not nearly as highly as touted as guys like Vladi and Bichette. So it's uh, going to be an interesting next couple of years for this organization. So, you know, this organization made a couple of big steps, or not even big steps, I would say, because they did, obviously, but big decisions. One of those decisions this year was parting with just this absolute you know, monster of a pitcher who I love watching and, you know, being around Luis Patino in the Padres system, Stroman's the guy that he reminds me of more than anybody. You know, you know, what was the like being around, you know, just what do you, what did you think of the return and kind of what was the fan base like after Stroman got dealt? Um, I would say the initial reaction to the trade uh, seemed a little underwhelming um, just because of the type of caliber of pitcher that Stroman was, he was at the time, I think he was basically like a top 15 pitcher in the American league. Uh, he was posting some pretty solid numbers 
And the Blue Jays only got back two prospects in return, Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. So um, I was kind of expecting, you know, the one comp maybe would have been like Clint Frazier from the New York Yankees. Like that seemed like a possible offer that may have been off the table. So when that didn't materialize and they got a couple of pitchers, it didn't seem, didn't sit that right. But really, you look at the end of the season and Anthony Kay made a handful of starts for the Blue Jays and uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, I don't know, he might actually potentially crack uh, the top 100 prospect list this offseason. And so I would say actually in retrospect, the trade actually materialized pretty well. And in Toronto, I mean, this happens in every market, but I think fans kind of romanticize certain players and remember them as a little bit better than they actually were. And we saw, I think it was Brian Cashman said something to the effect um, that they didn't, the Yankees didn't go after Stroman or um, if they got him, they would have put him in the bullpen, which to me seemed pretty surprising. But, um, you know, maybe just baseball in general didn't view him as quite a high of a caliber starting pitcher as people did surrounding Toronto. So all of that in retrospect, it kind of explains the return that the Blue Jays got, and they certainly need pitching in the future. And if they weren't going to extend them to a, or sign them to a contract extension, I think it, it made sense to sell high and uh, get his best uh, prospects as they could, and that's what they did in July. Stroman wasn't the only starting pitcher that got kind of dealt. I mean, you had Aaron Sanchez, who, I mean, has had blister issues throughout his career, and then all of a sudden, you know, feels like you kind of get spit in your eye whenever somebody goes to Houston or Tampa, and they just, they blossom. You know, what was it like on the flip side of that, you know, watching him put together, but, you know, just kind of his performance in Houston, and what was the return like on that trade? Yeah, so the timing of that was really bizarre because um, Joe Biagini was also involved in that trade from the Blue Jays. So they did throw a combined no-hitter, and that was on the same night that the player they got back in return, Derek Fisher, an outfielder, he took a ball in the face and had to leave a game. So I was just like, oh, this is so poetic. Like, as soon as pitchers leave the Blue Jays organization, they blossom uh, in a different organization. But actually, Aaron Sanchez was sidelined for the season. I think he had a shoulder injury this time. So he might actually miss some time next year. And really, he just, yeah, injuries had plagued him the last two years. Uh, he won an ERA title in in 2016, but I mean, that was three years ago and he has failed to put together a complete season. And I think he was having a horrendous season, um, injuries, notwithstanding, he had like the worst ERA walk rate in the American league. So the fact that the blue Jays actually got something for, for him in return is a bit of a small miracle. And Joe Biagini was just, you know, a, a a bullpen fodder and another arm, like a, a diamond dozen guy you could get. And, uh, Derek Fisher was, uh, again, a bit of an underwhelming return. Cause I, I think his ceiling just kind of seems maybe fourth outfielder for this team moving forward. But I guess, you know, the, or, this organization has sp- spoken very highly of Fisher. So they clearly see something in him. And again, it was a case where if the blue Jays wanted, they were going to move on from someone like Sanchez and Stroman. So, 
they decide to turn the page and, and and move on and get some prospects for them. One of my favorite positions to look at on this entire, I guess, depth chart is this catcher position, which we're going to start going through our going through going through our positions and kind of breaking these down. Can Reese McGuire's late season surge at the major league level help him carve out a spot on this team next year? Um, yeah, it's actually the Blue Jays are kind of have a, an embarrassment of riches of the catching position. Danny Jansen started the year basically was given the keys to the position after Russell Martin was traded. Um, and he caught the bulk of the games through the first two thirds of the season. Um, I don't know if he just started to break down, you know, the rigors of a, of a full season, but he really struggled at the plate. Um, and again, maybe it was a case where he's just really focusing on his defense, getting to know his pitching staff. Cause he is basically leading um, the catchers are basically the quarterback, you know, behind the plate there. So they're, they have their hands in every aspect of the game. But yes, as you mentioned, Reese McGuire, he's always been a really, really good defensive catcher. Um, and we saw that on display with the Blue Jays the last few months of the season. Um, I don't know if it's a case where he overtakes Danny Jansen, but I think McGuire has definitely earned a, a little more playing time next season you know, where it may have been a 70-30 split, uh, Jansen and McGuire, I think I might inch towards maybe 60-40 next season. And we, we'll probably see Reese McGuire catch a few more games. And then maybe in that case, that gives Danny Jansen a little more time to focus on hitting potentially. But yeah, these two guys combined, two really young, promising catchers. Um, I mean, even if McGuire somehow takes over and catches every day I, it, either or I think it's a really good situation for the Blue Jays to have right now and it's, it's kind of kind of you get even better you would think right with Riley Adams kind of up the pipeline a little bit just almost seems to be almost ready uh you know one of our former guests on the show is Tyler Zickle who obviously is the announcer for the Fisher Cats and I asked him about Adams he was like he was like of the of the three that I mean that I got to see like He's my favorite. So what can you tell me about Riley Adams? And, you know, is this like a next year thing or is this a two years away? Yeah, I don't I don't foresee next year. Um, I don't know all too much about Riley Adams. I mean, I spoke with him a few years ago when he was in the Canadians organization or sorry, with the Vancouver Canadians. So that's like the Blue Jays short uh, season. So he, he's definitely come a long way in the last couple of years, but I don't. From what I've seen from his numbers, I don't think he's quite ready yet to to make the leap to the big league level. The other thing, too, is the Blue Jays actually have um, Luke Mealy still under contract as well. So uh, it could be a case where maybe the Blue Jays make a trade and and ship out someone like Luke Mealy, or maybe they bring him back to start next season and that ships McGuire back down to AAA. But I mean, at this point, I feel like McGuire's probably earned a spot to stay. So that probably means um, Adam stays at uh, AAA Buffalo for now. So unless he takes a big leap forward um, at the plate, I think he probably sticks around in the minors. Maybe his timeline is more like potentially 2021 uh, and midseason there. All right, so Ian, another big question mark on the roster is obviously first base. Justin Smoke, his contract's expiring. Any chance he returns? Yeah, I think there's a a potential for like a reunion, maybe on a, a one year deal, because really I've looked at the the free agent uh, market for first base. I mean, it's pretty thin. There's not that many guys out there, um, and someone like Justin Smoke. I mean, he's 
incredibly, he's only 32 years old. I mean, he seems like he's 40 compared to all of these young guys on the, on this Blue Jays roster. But yeah, he suffered a, a little bit from injuries this season. His playing time kind of diminished as the season went on. And um, yeah, it's... I. I don't know. I feel like it's a 50-50 shot that maybe he comes back on like a a team-friendly deal, you know, maybe one year, four, five million, something like that. Uh, But then at the same time, you know, there are some interesting names out there in free agency. You know, there's Jose Abreu, um, potentially Eric Thames if the Brewers decline his option for next year. Um, And then there's tons of potential for trades there at at first base. Um, If you go down the depth chart, you know, someone like Rowdy Telez, who had playing time at first base, I'm still not entirely convinced that he's a legit everyday first baseman with the Blue Jays. Certainly he's shown that he can hit for power, but he doesn't draw all that many walks on base percentage isn't that great. Uh, 293 this season with the Blue Jays. So definitely need someone who can get on base. It would be nice to have a nice glove there at first. That's the other thing, too, about Justin Smoke is he's always been a, had this reputation as a really good defender there at first base. He's a nice target to throw to for the infielder. So if whether the Blue Jays move on from Smoke or bring him back next year, um, I, I think they'd be fine with either decision. I think there's probably more upside if you go into free agency, but then you got to spend a little more money, more than five million. So, for honestly, for me, it's a coin flip. I wouldn't be shocked if either thing happens this off season. Yeah, you pretty much uh, nailed it. I was. It's funny because I was looking at um, the top thirty prospects list for the Blue Jays before we came on here, and. Not a, a single first baseman was on that list, which is kind of a big question mark for the Blue Jays. So I was just going to ask, you know, how does Rowdy Telez, you know, fit into a um, potential long-term solution for the Blue Jays? I mean, he uh, had 57 games at first base. Like you said, power's there. You know, there's some other question mark for him. But like you said, there's just not really any first baseman the Blue Jays could go out and get. The market's pretty thin, I think, this year in that position. Um, but the other question I had for you was, does Guerrero ever make the switch over to first base? There's, I mean, like I just mentioned the top 30 list. There's, you know, a ton of second base, shortstop, third base prospect in that top 30. You know, is is a Guerrero switch over to first base ever um, realistic, you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's coming uh, eventually. Not, maybe with not, I mean, actually, you know what? I think it depends on how he shows up to spring training this uh, this coming season. Because obviously, you know, they, he was listed at 250 pounds. Some would say it was actually more than that, like more like 260, 270 potentially um, by season's end. And Blue Jays front office basically kind of challenged him to say, you know, you need to not lose weight per se, but to show up in better better condition for spring training next year because if you're if you're carrying that much weight it's hard, really hard to be agile at third base and make those plays and it really Vladdy's uh, fault at third base has never really been his arm he's got a really tremendous arm it's been his footwork um, and just getting to balls so that's really tough when you're when you're carrying all that weight there so if he shows up uh, thinned down and does a little focuses a little more on conditioning Maybe the Blue Jays feel a little more confident about keeping him at the hot corner in the, over the next few years, but most have said that they basically figure within the next two to three years that he shifts over uh, to first base and kind of does a, 
similar to what Miguel Cabrera did, right? He he moved from uh, third to first, and you know, DH is the odd time, but it's it's you would be hard pressed to give up on a uh, a twenty year old third baseman at that position. It really doesn't, from an organizational standpoint, it's not really a good look to say, well, no, I know we only gave you a year. Uh, we're going to move you over to first base now. Like it's just, it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in your prospects, which is not really the type of environment that the Blue Jays are trying to cultivate right now. So I think they're going to give them a chance, give them a, at least two years and then maybe reevaluate and potentially move them to first in, in the year like 2022, maybe. So it's, it's always inevitable, right? Like nobody, uh, unless you're Adrian Beltre, which I think he's the, he's the exception to the rule. Everybody just always moves from, from third to first. But I think, you know, obviously Vladdy's bat plays up much better at third base than first because first basemen are such a dime a dozen. Like, really, you want a nice power position at third base. And then you can fill first with free agency or, you know, you can convert an outfielder into first base. So th- that's... You'd much rather have do that than shoehorn Laddie into first base and then try to find a, a hard hit or a, a really good hitting third baseman because those are much harder to find in free agency and trade. Yeah, those are always a dime a dozen when it comes to just bigger guys that can hit the ball. But obviously getting a guy like Vladdy or a very good Power hitting third baseman is something you want to hold on to. You look at the big contracts in baseball. You look at a Bregman. You look at a Nolan Arenado. You look at a rising star Endeavors, and it's going to stay there for a while. I always thought, as Vladdy is a couple years over there, they're going to give him a chance to kind of slim down. I always thought of more of a DH for him and work on getting a defensive guy at first base, like a Smoke, like a Mitch Moreland, like someone like that, just to come in and pot 20, 30 home runs and give you good defense and some good veteran leadership in that diamond, which is going to be young for a while. So Gurriel is on a great contract. He's on the contract till 2023. He doesn't make more than $6 million during that time. He's 26 years old now, so you're going to get him right in his prime and kind of ending it towards the end of that, depending on how he you know, takes care of himself and, and you know his health plays out and everything like that. That leaves kind of a whole second base for now and maybe the future what does second base look like because the left side of that infield is set for years to come and considering that right the right side of the infield first base most likely going to be a defensive guy plug and play year to year until you get lucky with someone that can come up and really play and dominate first base so what does second look like kind of like for the short term this year but maybe even the future a couple years from now yeah i feel like uh at second base kevin biggio is probably your guy um going into next year if you're the blue jays uh really showed really awesome plate discipline with the blue jays this past season almost a little too passive i would say that was maybe one of the faults in his game was that he wasn't really attacking hitters all that much. He did post like great. He had the second highest on base, I think on the blue Jays, uh, led all rookies and walks, um, really, really awesome base runner can play plus defense at that position. So I feel that's probably, um, set in stone for now. And then maybe, uh, as a backup, someone like Brandon Drury probably fills in that position, but I don't know if he factors in uh, to the long term of this team. And then I'm just looking at like the, the Blue Jays minor league depth chart. Like Logan Warmoth is probably the next biggest name who's coming. Um, 
he's one of the Blue Jays' top prospects, but he's probably still three or four years away. So uh, he even could convert to maybe shortstop as well. He's played both positions. But I would say for now, Kevin Biggio, basically bundle him in with Vladdy, Bichette, and Gurriel. And that's like the nucleus of this Blue Jays team for the next four to five years. Yeah, it looks good on paper there. I was worried more about if Biggio is going to get the full time there because, you know, Travis is on the contract for the next two years and arbitration too. So you can get him kind of cheap. And I didn't know if Biggio was going to get the games there, get the plate appearances. You know, he got a hundred games last year. Do you think it's going to be over under a hundred next year at second? For Kevin Biggio? Oh yeah. yeah. I, I think over, so. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Devin Travis is really has been real with injuries these last few years. I think the Blue Jays probably non-tender him this offseason just because his salary is getting high and he's a bit of an older player. I want to say he's like 27, 28 years old at this point. So, um, you know, the Blue Jays haven't said that they've given the keys to BGO at second base, but I would say essentially that they have because he did play the bulk of those games at second base in the second half this past year. I, I love Kevin Biggio. Like, he's one of the, I call them the super sons, right, in the infield. I mean, because why not? Like, they're all the sons of former big leaguers at this point. And, you know, he was an OBP darling, which if you can't get on base, you can't play baseball anymore. It's just, it's flat out. Like, the, the Chris Davises of the world are going away. You know, guys like that to where if you can't get on base, you're basically useless to an organization if you're a hitter. And, you know, he was, he was I think, second in war, total war last year, uh, outside of the departed Stroman which was pretty incredible, uh, you know, just coming from a guy that hadn't played at the big league level before. You know, how did you feel about his first season as, like, as a whole? And, you know, outside of, you know, maybe the plate discipline being not, not like, it's obviously almost too good, like you said. Like, what's his biggest flaw right now? Um, Yeah, I would say, I mean, his counting stats aren't really, like, average. I mean, but really, that's kind of... I feel like that's almost a dinosaur stat at this point. It really is. Um, yeah, 2.4 wins above replacement in 100 games. Um, Biggio was kind of like Vladdy a little bit where he had he would go hot and cold, um, you know, like alternating two-week stretches. But overall, I mean, like looking at his numbers, he, he had drew 71 walks in 100 games. Like, that's insane. And for a rookie as well, too. So, um to me, that's just instills a lot of confidence. He he hit for a, he had one game where he hit for a cycle. Uh, there was another game in particular where he bunted for a double. Like it was just <laughs> the the amount of baseball IQ. I don't know if it's just like second generation baseball players because these guys have it ingrained in them. But just watching plays like that, it's like whoa, dude! This you are going to have a really long and fruitful career like i don't know if you're going to be a perennial all-star but especially in a case where the blue jays where they don't nobody's banging down the door challenging there's nobody really nipping at these guys heels it's it's their team right now so someone like bijo um i would say he's probably the least heralded of like the blue jays super prospects but in actuality he had if you look at his numbers he had the best season out of the three of them so i would I don't know. I feel like Bichette probably takes off next year and, and surpasses all three of them. But uh, Biggio took the first big step, I would say. So, I mean, we're already there. Why not just go ahead and go on to it? You know, the Bichette-Guerrero era is you know, is underway north of the border, like plain and simple. You know, he was seventh in war and just 212 plate appearances. What was the most impressive part about Bo Bichette's debut season? 
everything. <laughs> like <laughs> a, just every aspect of his game. Like he's such such an incredibly well-rounded player. I mean, in the case of Vladdy, his bat is his weapon. Uh, clearly, that is what he's born to do. He's born and bred to hit. But Bichette is just like you're r- watching him run around the bases like a madman, you know, hitting double after double and he can hit for power to all fields, not just pull, but opposite field as well. And, uh, you know, maybe the one flaw in his game is he isn't, you know, the most gifted uh, shortstop. But I would say that even dating back to his days in the minor leagues, he's still he's made quite a few strides in the defensive department as well. So this is someone who he actually grew up in Colorado. Like he crossed paths with Troy Tulowitzki. He said before that he kind of doesn't idolize Tulo, but he tries to model his game after him. So that's someone certainly like if you're going big picture, if Bichette can become Troy Tulowitzki or Troy Tulowitzki light, I think the Blue Jays would be really, really happy with that. And even just given the fact, because he only came in midway through the season, right? It was right after the uh, the Eric Sogard trade. Um, give Bo Bichette a full runway and a full season next year. Um, I think he's going to put up some really, really, really big numbers for the Blue Jays. You know, there's only one thing that he didn't do very well last year, and that was walk, he, which he hasn't really done his entire minor league career. Is that like the biggest spot where he can improve or is there another, uh, you know, a minor flaw in his game so far? Yeah, I guess that would be it. Like, I mean, he where he's it's so minuscule. It's like nitpicking. It's crazy. He is like the yin to Biggio's yang where, you know, Biggio pr- supreme plate discipline. Bichette really doesn't have any. But that is his strength because he's such a hacker. Like he's always swinging, always making contact. Um, there's a ton of swing and miss there, but he has a ferocious swing. And when he connects, uh, like it's awesome. It's awesome to watch. So I'm, I'm almost tempted to say, you know, you don't want to mess with a, with a good thing too much because then you don't want to sap some of the power out of his bat. So I would say, just let him go. Maybe try to work a few more walks, get a little more plate discipline, but that's his strength is just swinging. So I'd say let him swing for the fences. Only two prospects this year on the top 100 list for MLB Pipeline. One of them is Jordan Groshans. You know, he's he's still a little bit away, obviously. But, you know, with the infield blocked off on the left side right now, does he have the ability to play third base? Or is this like a way in the future type thing with Groshans? To me, it's always so hard to project, especially not just position players, but pitchers as well to see where they're going to be, you know, three, four years down the line. Um, especially since this infield is going to be so ingrained for like the next four or five years. Um, I really don't foresee a, a situation where someone like Groshans comes up and, and contributes. I mean, maybe if there's, you know, a significant injury or an unexpected trade, but really, it's as I've said, it's Vladdy, Bichette, Biggio are driving the bus, and unfortunately, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be tough for some of these minor league prospects to break through because they do have such talented young guys who have already broken through and have established themselves uh, at the big league level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy, you know, because when you have this much talent, like you just said, you have other guys in the system, and you're just like, we can't give you time because we have Vizio Bichette Guerrero 
like, where are we going to put you? Like, I feel like a lot of these guys might have to carve out spots somewhere else, whether it be, you know, converting to first base or the outfield or stuff like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a good problem to have. Maybe that's a case where these guys really perform the minor leagues and they become trade fodder. And uh, Blue Jays package them together to bring in some big league talent, like some some pitching, for example, which they sorely need. Um, but, yeah, that's probably it's a, it's a good problem to have. I mean, the Blue Jays... We're an organization who always struggled with developing position players. Um, I think last year when they traded Kevin Pillar, I think that was like their only born and bred uh, drafted and developed player that they had remaining in their starting lineup. And this season they had a uh, their infield was completely homegrown, drafted, developed or international signing. So, I mean, that's that shows you how far this organization has come, even within the last three, four years. They really used to stack up on pitchers, draft and develop pitchers, um, pick pitchers in their with their high draft picks. But now they've really the tide has turned. They're focusing much more on position players. Was the Pilar trade pretty shocking to the fan base? I, I was certain segments of it. Yeah, because he was kind of like a beloved, you know, real underdog type of player. He was a late round pick. I think he was something like nine. I forget. Nine forty two drafted overall. Like just the fact that he materialized into anything for the Blue Jays, let alone a, a starting center fielder who played plus defense was remarkable. Um, but when the Blue Jays traded him, I felt like they needed to make that move to kind of clear the deck to to see whether they could, someone like Gurriel could play the outfield, whether Hernandez uh, justified a spot in the in center field or whether someone like Grichik did. So without that Pilar trade, the Blue Jays don't have that intel this year. And I think that was a move they had to make anyway because he would, would have been uh, a free agent at the end of next year anyway. All right, uh, moving over to third. I know we've hit on um, Vladdy pretty hard um, this episode, but um, just a quick question. Uh, did Vladdy live up to his hype, in your opinion? Uh, no. I, I, I really feel, in retrospect, like the, I think he was overhyped. And it, it was so, it, it was hard not to, right? Just because he terrorized the minor leagues uh, the last three years. Like, he just he was not challenged whatsoever. He just destroyed every challenge. Well, there were no challenges. He, he, he steamrolled the minor leagues and, and it was when legendary. He, it was like must see TV. Like you had to check Vladdy's box score every night. Yeah. It was yeah. MLB, the show on rookie mode every night. Yeah, he was the, he was playing video. He was the God in God mode. Um, so it was, uh, this was really the first case in Vladdy's career, pro career, where he was challenged and where he struggled. So there were peaks and valleys. Um, he had some pretty solid numbers about maybe midway through the season, but really it kind of tailed off near the end. That may have been, you know, he's playing his first full season. Um, again, and we talked about it before, maybe he needs you know, a little bit better conditioning to be able to survive the rigors of a full season because the Blue Jays actually they kind of did the Kawhi Leonard thing where they had load management with Vladdy. He never played more than five games in a row at third base. Um, he would all, they would always follow that up with a DH day or a rest day. So, yeah. So, but we're in somewhere in the case with Bo Bichette, he played every day, hit the ground running as soon as he was called up. So I feel like if you're going to do that, you really can't, 
these guys have to be ready to play every day. Um, so someone like Vladdy, yeah, it's even if he hit 30 home runs, there, there might have been some people who said, well, you know, we really thought he would have hit 40. But um, someone I can like mirror his development with is Rafael Devers. Like people are kind of saying the same things like, yeah, he struggled. Um, looked really bad defensively at third base, which Vladdy didn't, but he could use a little bit of work. But this season, Devers, you know, really, really, really turned his season around. And ideally, I think that's maybe what happens with Greer in the next couple of years. Like he finally gets comfortable at the plate, you know, conditioning gets a little bit better, works on that footwork at third. And I think he becomes a, a really solid defense or a solid everyday third base. Yeah, and I mean, you pretty much nailed it. Uh, I like the Devers comp. You know, Devers had a really, really good season this year. And um, like you just said, if Laddie um, gets that worked out and he shows that he can, you know, stay over there at third base, that'd be huge for that um, Blue Jays team. But moving on, how do you think the atmosphere is different with this team uh, with, you know, Vladdy and Bichette over there? Um, on the left side of the field, and it was a few years ago with um, a lot older team. I mean, this team is really young. Is there like a different feel, different atmosphere, in your opinion, in that clubhouse? And, you know, is there like a, a leader on the team now with this younger team? Yeah, I would say there's definitely a stark contrast where, you know, a few years ago, the Blue Jays just have one of the oldest teams in Major League Baseball, and now they have one of the youngest. So these guys are really having fun. Um, and even in the month of May, this team really struggled. But by the time in the second half of the season, they played, I think, just like five games under 500, which was really surprising to me, uh, you know, considering the fact that they lost 95 games. But yeah, it's a really the atmosphere surrounding this team is pretty exuberant because it is a lot of young guys like they're in their early to mid 20s. Um, and these are, you know, like superstar potential players. Whereas, you know, before I would say even earlier this year, like guys like Stroman and Sanchez were still hanging around, you know, you figured these were players that would probably move on from this organization sooner or later. Um, and then you, you know, you make trades in the off season, like, you know, the Russell Martin deal and the year prior, or the deadline prior to that, Josh Donaldson. And really the vibe is just, you know, completely changed. I mean, ideally you'd like to see this, People, the Blue Jays would like to win a lot more games, but the their nucleus is in place. They have the their pillars here, basically at the big league level, and now it's just time to you know improve, improve, developing these young players, augment it with some free agents and some trades, and uh, hopefully they make, they take the next step next year. Jumping outside of the infield for a minute, the outfield is one of the most interesting spots on the Blue Jays, I think, along with starting pitching. In the outfield right now, you have one guy that you've really committed yourself to, which is Grichik. He's going to be making $13 million around that, between $10 and $13 million, until now, until 2023. He's 28 years old. At this point, we kind of know what we're getting out of him. He is going to swing for the fences. He doesn't get on base. He's not a money ball type of player. He's a 300 OBP. That's a good batting average. It's not a good OPP. Grichik's whole thing is that he has pop. He really does. And he's going to hit 25 to 30 home runs a year. But it's getting away from them from two things. It's getting away from the Blue Jays don't want to spend a lot of money in free agency. They trade away players. They don't want to commit, you know, really long term. They give them a kind of a decent amount of money. 
but he also gets away from the whole kind of like get on base and let you know let Bo and let Vladdy bring him in, Smoke bring him in. What's the plan with the outfield? Because right now I see Grichik and Hernandez, correct? So what is it going to look like opening day? Why this extension to Grichik, who you know is a career? 300 OPP career 230 hitter 240 hitter. Yeah, I mean there were definitely some people's eyebrows raised a little bit when that extension was signed just prior to the beginning of the season because he's didn't really profile as the type of hitter like oh this is somebody the Blue Jays need to lock up. Um and it wasn't really all that crazy of a deal. 5 years 55 million is actually pretty reasonable. I think what the Blue Jays were doing was just, was just kind of locking in some cost certainty um so that they and he's the type of player who you know probably profiles to age pretty well. Um plays he's plays plus defense in the outfield whether it's in center or right field. Uh really good base runner, does give you some pop. He hit 30 plus home runs for the first time in his career. But um, on the downside, you know, he's only got a 280 on base percentage. And what the Blue Jays really struggle with, especially in the outfield, is they kind of have a lot of players with the same skill set. Like they, Teoscar Hernandez, Lerder Scurriel, they can all hit for power, but they're not great on base guys. They strike out a ton, like 150 plus times in a season. Can't really have three of those guys in the outfield. Um, so I I don't know what they do there. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has also probably earned a spot in left field. He was the converted second baseman who basically like shocked everybody at how smoothly he transitioned to the outfield last season. So I would say pencil him in for left field probably. Um, and then maybe the Blue Jays get a little creative. Maybe they make a trade. Um, I don't know whether that would be for right field or center field. But to me, Grichuk probably plays up better as a center fielder. Some of his best defensive numbers were in center field with the Cardinals a few years ago. So I feel like the Blue Jays probably should maybe try to be consistent and leave him there and potentially go into free agency and, and get a, a a right fielder or maybe someone I wrote about actually earlier this week was Corey Dickerson is a really intriguing name out there. Someone who has, has, has a little bit of power, um, always had really good WRC plus numbers and his Woba has always been really good. So someone that I, he's going to be in high demand, but I mean, if the blue Jays make a nice offer, plug him in left field, maybe put Guriel into right and then put Grichik in center field. So, uh, it's really, it's going to be really interesting what they do. I, I, think it's going to be the outfield next or this coming season is going to look a lot different than it did on opening day uh, this past season. Yeah, I think having Gurriel out there and Grichik already makes it look different. And it makes sense of why spending the little chunk of change that they did. I think just from an outside's perspective, it's like, why not go into free agency and add that 10 million, 13 million a year into a bigger player? But that's not really the style of the Blue Jays. So it makes sense of why they're doing that. All right. So let's kind of dive into this to the fun part of this team what the hell is going to happen at the starting rotation at the beginning of the year is this a spot where you add a bunch of veterans you know like maybe minimum not even minimum like you know one to five million dollar guys you know outside of porcello rick porcello no 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 (laughs) he gets his pitches tipped every time he needs to go up there god how does this rotation shake out on opening day you think well just to give you an example what the blue jays depth chart looks like at starting pitching their number one starter is Trent Thornton which no offense to Trent Thornton but he's 
would be pitching in the sophomore season. Uh, Clay Bacholes is a free agent, so don't count him. There's Jacob Waggispack, who, again, he's kind of like a mid-tier starter, like number four, number five. Anthony Kay uh, and TJ Zoic. So that's basically, you know, three rookies and a sophomore, which, I mean, that seems pretty dangerous to me. So they've definitely got to go out into free agency and trade and get some guys. Um, Porcello is actually one name who I don't think would be a bad idea. The Blue Jays, really what they need, and I, I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm just lowering the bar, but they need guys who can throw innings, like just pure innings at this point um, is the bare minimum requirement. And Porcello, you know, for all his faults the last couple of years, he's made his starts. Like he's made 30 plus starts on several occasions. So someone like Porcello, um, I've looked at like Ivan Nova um, would be another option. Somebody who's very durable. And then you're probably like, you know, the Blue Jays are probably in the mid-tier market. They're not going to be shopping at the top of the market. They're not getting Garrett Cole or Zach Wheeler. You know, someone like Jake Odorizzi actually is pretty a pretty interesting option, but I have a feeling he's going to get plucked up by another team or the Blue Jays will get outbid for him. But that's basically where the Blue Jays need to shop. I would say they at least need to sign two free agent starters. And then if they make another trade, um, I don't know not necessarily like a, a cornerstone starter, like a number one starter, but getting into trading for a number three, I don't know who that would be, but adding at least three starting pitching arms is like the number one requirement for this team this offseason. Is Shoemaker going to make a comeback next year, you think? He was lights out to start the year. I mean, he had like a 1-5 ERA with 30 pittings. See, yeah, it's, I've already forgotten about Matt Shoemaker, but yeah, he is. Um, he's under team control for next season. Yep, last uh, year, I believe. Yeah, currently rehab, he's rehabbing that ECL injury. So, um, you know, blue sky picture, blue sky scenarios that he does come back next year. But again, with, you know, substantial injuries like that, I kind of always never bank on starter. So he is someone who could make an impact. There's also Ryan Barucki as well, but he only made it like two starts this season. He really struggled with injuries. Again, someone who I would not, like pencil in for 20 plus starts next year, but certainly some depth there, but really you just, that that's why the blue Jays need to get like seriously durable, reliable starting pitchers, which is, you know, tough to find because odd more times than not, you're paying through the nose and either prospects or just pure cash for them in free agency. But I mean, that's what the blue Jays need to do. I mean, they went the dumpster dive method last year and they got, you know, someone like Clay Buckholes and, you know, he did an admirable job, but he's not going to give you 170 innings like he used to. Last Tyler Zickel, little tidbit of the night, I promise. I asked him about about Pearson, you know, and I, I was like, what did you think of Pearson? He said, hardest worker I've ever seen in six years of minor league baseball, student and a scholar of the game. What makes Nate Pearson so special in your eyes? I would say just like from a, Pierce like velocity, like the ability. I think he threw like 103, 104 in the Arizona Fall League last year. All star, it was the Fall League All Star game or something like that. It's just that's something that whenever a young arm throws that hard, you've got to stop and pay attention. And his secondary stuff is amazing as well. Like his slider is a devastating pitch. And this is someone who. 
I mean, even if he blows the doors off of spring training next year, I don't. He doesn't make this Blue Jays squad out of spring training for next super year. For two reasons. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. So the Blue Jays are going to manipulate service time, like they did with Vladdy. Um, but I think he, I you know, best case scenario, he maybe he joins the Blue Jays in like June or July, um, because he is someone who factors in to be, you know, after Bichette, Vladdy. Pearson is clearly the Blue Jays' highest prospect right now. Um, I think he's going to skyrocket up. The He's probably, if he's not already within the top 10, he should be within the top 10 prospects in baseball. Um, this is a guy who's going to be, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be electric. So th- this is someone who fans are, are really excited to see. Well, he is in the top 10, and I was just about to ask about that. He's actually number 10. You know, has it? How does it feel, you know, coming, I think it's like the third or fourth year straight to where you have a top 10 prospect. What's it like covering, uh, you know, just having, covering a team with a guy in the top 10 every single year? Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches for the Blue Jays, basically, because they have had these like stud prospects in the pipeline and, you know, most of them have materialized at the big league level. So it always, I mean, if we're talking about a team like the Baltimore Orioles, for example, like the, the Orioles, Orioles lost 100 plus games, but are people salivating over the Orioles prospects right now? Uh, I don't really think so. Like someone like Nate Pearson is someone who's knocking at the door, could be at the big league level next year. Uh, makes for a really, really intriguing team to follow. Um, so, yeah, it's, it does... You know, it, it reminds me of kind of like sort of like right before the Blue Jays started to blow up in like the late 80s, early 90s, where the Blue Jays just had this like conveyor belt of players ready to go, whether it was pitchers or position players. So it's a it's making for a really exciting era uh, for this franchise. Is Pearson always from the stretch and he still gets that much power? Yeah, it's crazy. Like <laughs> just to, like even watching his delivery, it's like. It's all limbs coming at you. His, like, his, his uh, arm speeds up so much at, at release. It's insane. Yeah. It's like, if you are an opposing hitter, like good luck to you, man. Like it's just, it, it's gotta be impossible. Um, and so anything like just that variance of like, you know, high eighties to one Oh four is just, I, I like, if you're an opposing hitter, like, what do you do? Like I would just stand there and, and then walk back to the dugout. So, yeah, he's a really, really intriguing arm, and he should be. Um, he'll light up the gun at AAA this season, and I would expect him, as I said, if he's healthy, he will will join the Blue Jays at some point in 2020. You know, I asked Jim Callis last week about, you know, when he's evaluating pitchers, what does he look for? And he t- the first thing he said was, without even looking at anything else, it's kind of ease of delivery. And it, it looks like his delivery is almost effortless, and it's even coming out of the stretch, which is insane. Yeah, it's just like he's got that typical, you know, like he's a bit he's a big dude. Like he's pretty tall as well. So it's just yeah, it's very natural. It's like unlike someone who like, you know, juxtapose him with like Trent Thornton, who has probably like six or seven working pieces in his delivery. Nate Pierce is just a natural. It's like all gas coming out of his out of his hand. But yeah, I mean, we've pretty much covered starting pitching. Uh, Dave, you ready to hop over to the bullpen? Yeah, I am. I uh, I love 
the philosophy of the bullpen in Toronto. And I think it's actually been pretty good the last couple of years with what you guys have to work with. First, the prospects. Some really nice prospects. Uh, Nate Pearson, obviously being one of them, where he's projected to come up next year. Does he come up next year with the whole service time? You guys aren't going to compete next year. Maybe, maybe not. And then you have Alec Manoa. 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 It was so close. It was yep. so close. You, you can hear me in. sigh. I can. And Alex it's Manoa. I know he was that close. That was so close. But he was close. I was close. Everyone that listens to the show knows that. It's like when your yep. kid comes home with a C, like you're proud, but. Yep. <laughs> not mad, just disappointed. So. He really good bullpen prospects. Shout out to Tom Pannone. Every single time you come on the show, I'm going to talk about him. Hometown legend. Great guy as well. But you guys have so many good young prospects coming up. And when they do get up, it's going to be legit. You had Roberto Ozuna. You moved on from him, but he was an electric arm and still is with Houston. You bring in Ken Giles, who people are kind of writing off because he's kind of a psychopath in the nicest way possible. Because I think he would throw baseball at his own head if he had to. He already did it once. And freaked out on his manager. But he's a good baseball player. He's got an electric arm. I really don't know why the Blue Jays didn't trade him at the deadline, other than maybe the injury thing. You had Daniel Hudson, who started out as kind of like a like, oh, he's a good piece and turned into a really good eighth inning guy and now is in the World Series and has played a big, pretty big role there. What is the I know what the future holds for this bullpen, but what is the next year gonna look like? And on top of that, who was the man behind getting all this done? Because Buffalo has a plethora of young arms and they kind of just keep bouncing back and forth. But is it your bullpen coach? Is it the pitching coach? Is it a combination of organizational stuff? Because it seems like that not only are they kind of hitting on some of these guys, but they're developing them as well. And the hardest thing to do in baseball, in my opinion, is to find good young pitching talent and, de- and develop it and make sure that their arms don't fall off the Tommy John. Yeah, I would say one really big strength of this front front office is their ability to identify, um, you know, low cost bullpen arms and turn them into either, you know, really good pitchers or parlay them into trades for other prospects. Like over the last few years, they made some pretty astute trades. Like they signed Joe Smith to a a team friendly deal. They shipped him off to Cleveland for Thomas Pannone. Last offseason, they signed uh, Tyler Clippard, Sungwon Oh, John Axford, uh, traded most of those guys, piled up some prospects there. And as you mentioned, this this uh, offseason, they signed Daniel Hudson and turned him into a prospect as well. And I would say the biggest question surrounding this bullpen this offseason is whether the Blue Jays do, in fact, trade Ken Giles um, because he was someone who was basically ticketed to be traded at the deadline, if not for the his injury concerns. I think the Yankees basically pulled out at the last second. Otherwise, they Blue Jays would have traded Giles to the Yankees, which makes all the sense in the world. Um, so I think it's because he's only under contract for one more year. So, you know, you, you question whether maybe the Blue Jays sign him to a contract extension potentially because you're always going to need back-end bullpen guys. And Giles has shown he has electric stuff. He's only 28 years old. So, um, and then basically they've kind of cobbled that back end of the bullpen together. Like they picked up Derek Law in the Kevin Pillar trade. You know, Wilmer Font was their opener this season, posted some really strong numbers out of the bullpen opening games for the Blue Jays. Um, 
And then you've got uh, Sam Gavilio was another uh, nice story out of the Blue Jays bullpen this year. He was basically their long man who posted career highs and career best numbers. And um, Ryan Tapera, who came back from injuries, basically kind of been the setup man in the waiting the last couple of years. So, I mean, it's not, you know, this isn't like Yankees level bullpen by any means, but pretty respectable, even if you subtract Ken Giles from the equation. I think they fare okay, but yeah, that is the one question that I'm looking forward to seeing is whether they do what they do with Ken Giles this offseason. Because I think if he's on the trading block, I think there's a ton of teams that are interested in him for sure. Just kind of wrapping up here, looking at this roster, what three positions were you, would you say need to be addressed during free agency this year? I starting pitching, one, two, and three probably. <laughs> uh, uh, one, yeah, f- for sure. Starting pitching number one, I think just because there are so many starters on the market, I mean, there aren't a ton of elite starting pitchers, but there's guys who, you know, number three, number four, so that you could easily sign to, to deals that don't aren't in excess of like 30 or $40 million. Um, secondarily, I think first base is probably, uh, somewhere the blue Jays could probably shop. Um, we talked about him before, Abreu, Thames, potentially Justin, re-signing Justin Smoke. I think those would all be um, ideal improvements over letting someone like Rowdy Telez start every day. And then um, bringing in an outfielder, Corey Dickerson is someone who I mentioned earlier. Um, that would be an ideal fit. There's tons of guys out on the market, but I don't think as many that would make an impact as someone like Corey Dickerson. So uh, the top three for me would be starting pitching, uh, first base, and then outfield, uh, corner outfield, either left or right field. That was your debut offseason preview. That was Ian Hunter of the Daily Have Toronto and Blue Jays Nation. Thank you so much, Ian, again, for joining us, giving us your information. You know, how many wins do you think that the Blue Jays get in the 2020 season? Next up, we're going to be swimming with the fishes. Friday, we have the Marlins episode with Fistripe's own Ethan Badowski. Ethan is also the host of Fistripe's Earning Their Stripes podcast, where they're talking all Marlins all the time. That Marlins episode is actually one of my favorite podcasts that we've done in a very long time. We kind of gush over the Marlins super rebuild, as it may be. Uh, We also go over all of the trades that happen. Uh, concerning big prospects, not even prospects, but big outfielders. Like we talk about Yelich, Stanton, Osuna, Realmuto, D. Gordon even, and just how these guys have built this organization from the ground up and basically made Jeter look really, really good in the end. But we can't wait for you to hear it, and that will be coming out Friday. Thanks you for joining us on this Blue Jays episode, and we hope you enjoyed.